You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickshiller.com. Just because you see what is G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey on Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and my conversation today is with Dr. Alicia Main. Alicia's bio says she's a unique combination of master animal communicator, holistic dog trainer, medical intuitive, distance body alignment and energy medicine researcher, soul relationship coach as well as an author, workshop presenter and a PhD researcher. Her work is based in traditional Chinese medicine, Qigong, and the quantum physics principles that validate that everything is energy and everything connected. She honors the physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual aspects of a being and then sees them as inseparable to bring about true healing. She is the creator of Animal Healer TV on YouTube, where each episode explores what's possible in helping animals heal their behavior, health, relationship, and crossing over issues naturally through the quantum energy field. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of what uh, Alicia's on about. And I guarantee you that that's exactly what she was on about in this conversation. I had, uh, I had an amazing time chatting with her. She's a wonderful lady. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Alicia Main, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. I don't know if it can speak because I'm smiling so much. I'm, I'm amazing. I'm excited to have you here. There's, you know, in the intro, I, I read out your bio, but, and, you know, this is the journey of podcast. And a lot of times, or most of the time, I start with people's journeys, but I kind of want to start at the very end of this thing because you did a PhD thesis. I guess that's what you call it. Um, on, let me let me read what the title of this thing is because this is this is uh, this is where the the science meets the woo. The effects of remote body alignment on behaviors in formerly wild mustangs. As you're going experiment in quantum entanglements. A dissertation submitted in the fulfillment of the requirements for the degree of Doctor of Philosophy PhD. Tell us about. Let's start there because that that's. That's what I'm interested in these days. Okay. So the question is, do you want to start where it really started and like how, who I was told to do this PhD by? Are you ready for that? Yeah, let's, let's go there. Okay. So on February 1st, 2020, I went to visit my friend, George Bronis, who has Eagles and Wild Horses Ranch in Eckert, Colorado. And George is extraordinary at helping Mustangs restore their souls once they've been pulled off the range and there's just been so much damage and trauma. And he also studies Qigong and I study Qigong. So we made an appointment that I would go over there. This was kind of right before the pandemic hit and we just had a ball together. You know, it was just so cool talking to another person that practices Qigong and the horses. And so I had about 
six mares behind me. And I had never been around. I'd been at Return to Freedom with Netta DeMeo. I used to volunteer there when I lived in California. So I'd been around the Mustangs. But I mean, those Mustangs don't come as close to you as George's Mustangs come to you. So I had six girls behind me. And so my my vision was diffuse. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And George is standing in front of me, scratching the chest of his um, former band stallion, Clancy. And he's telling me, he's like, Alicia, you know, it's really strange. He's like, I cannot get past scratching Clancy's chest. He's been here a year and a half. And I was like, oh, you know, and I've been doing body work for a while. And I do off body body work because some of these horses like Clancy, even if I wanted to do body work on them, I couldn't because you can't touch them. So I looked at Clancy, I looked at his eyes and, I, and he told me what was going on in his lower back and he walked away. He was about 40 feet away. And I said to George, you know, are you okay if I do my instinct body assessment? He's like, sure. So I, so I do this session with Clancy we're, and we're standing so we can see him. And I see like shifts, he's breathing deeper, he's making changes, you know, and I don't know what any of that's going to translate into, but I, it's clear like he's picking up what I'm putting out, right? So then he comes back and George is scratching him again and I still have these six mares behind me and not not for nothing of like how I grew up but it's like you be careful around mares because they they can move quick and mustangs can move quicker than any horse um, that I know of and so George is standing there and we're talking and then he's like and now I can scratch his shoulder and now I'm on his middle back and now I'm at his butt and I'm thinking does this guy think I'm deaf? Like, I don't understand because it's not really hitting me why he is raising his voice and that now he's telling me he can touch all of these places because we never moved the horse's feet. We did nothing with training, but that body alignment totally shifted Clancy's breathing, his nervous system, and his brain chemistry in minutes. And George was able to go from scratching his chest to getting all the way to his butt. We never had a halter on him. We were never using any road, nothing. This was all free. I mean, this is liberty, liberty, right? So all of a sudden, George and I looked at each other and we were like, holy, because I had been working on horses for a while, but I hadn't worked on that many Mustangs. And then to see that kind of change, George's jaw was on the floor. My jaw was on the floor. So I'd worked on a couple more horses, left that day. And as I was coming home, I drive over this cool mountain pass and have to drive through this canyon. And I was, as I was driving through the canyon, the horses that herd led by Clancy said, uh, you need to pull over. We have to talk to you. Okay. Like, I don't know, when you're an animal communicator and they tell you, pull over, we have something to tell you, you just pull over. So I did. And they said, listen, uh, you're going to do your PhD. And I was like, excuse me? I have failed every math and science in class. I could never make it as a vet because I couldn't get into school. And now you want me to do a PhD? And they were like, yes. So I said, okay, I'm listening. And they said, what you're going to do is you are going to film our sessions via Zoom and you're going to record this and you're going to allow this to be something that people can see the changes for themselves. Like they're like, you're not going to do blood work. You're not going to, you know, 
we're just going to straight up do this so people can see the changes happening in real time and that this ability for quantum entanglement is really real. Because, I mean, imagine my surprise. I had studied Qigong, right? And I'm like, I'm horrible in math and science. And then I'm like, oh, I totally understand quantum physics. It's a living, breathing experience. It's, it's not just like this thing that's on the chalkboard with the paper and, you know, the whole um, what is it called? Like the, the, uh, formula, right? It's like, we're it, like we're the quantum science. So I'm kind of like flipping out. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like, really? Like you guys want me to do PhD? Well, I had done a master's uh, through the university of Sedona, which is a metaphysical university in Arizona. I did not know at the time. And what I did that with was a study with teenage boys with ADD and ADHD teaching them Qigong. We practiced twice a week for six weeks and we went to see, does that make a difference? So I just, you know, what were, what were you experiencing before? What'd you experience afterwards? It was really cool. What I forgot was that at that time you could register for your master's and your PhD. So when I hear the horses tell me I'm going to do my PhD, I call my school And I'm like, oh, you know, I I did a master's with you guys. I'd love to do my PhD. They're like, we've been waiting for when you are ready to do your PhD. So what do you mean? They were like, you already paid for it when you did your master's. Like, what? Right? So like, I'm in the dark as much as anybody else here. I'm just listening and going along. So, okay, we're going to do this thing, right? So I'm... Me, my analytical self, I'm calling Roland at HeartMath and going... Like, what do I do? How do I do this? Like, I, you know, and he's like, well, you should use heart rate monitors and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but some of these horses you can't even touch. You're not getting a heart rate monitor on them. And I called Norm Sheely because I wanted to know, like, what energy field am I in? Because heart math says, you know, we have like six to 10 feet out, right? And then horses have five times that. So that's somewhere between. See how bad I am in math? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, 30, 30 feet to 50 feet, okay? And then I'm going, but wait a second. Like I'm working on animals at 100 miles away, at 2,000 miles away, at 7,000 miles away in Europe, Egypt. Like ha- where am I? Like what field am I even in? Nobody could tell me. I called Rupert Sheldrake, who, who's phenomenal. And he he is a well-known researcher in the morphic field and and I just the horses just kept bringing me back they're like you're following the wrong path you're in the chi field it's the unified field of everything and I was like I get that you guys are saying that I was like but I don't think you're going to get the physicist and the scientist I actually agree and they went yeah but remember they've never studied qigong and I was like don't I felt like Homer Simpson for a second. I was like, oh my God, you guys are right. So they started teaching me not just through doing the PhD. And and I don't know how we got to 27 horses, but I did 27 case studies via Zoom. And we were looking at what's the baseline behavior before I do the instinct body assessment and muscle release, which is based on the back association points of Chinese medicine, which has been verified for 5,000 years. And those over, those under lay the chiropractic points, which we've known about. I mean, I would assume a lot of indigenous cultures have known about them for thousands of years. 
So I just kept listening and I just was like, okay, I'm going to show up. We'll set it up. We get on Zoom, we record, and then we see what happens, you know, during the session and what happens after. And it was mind blowing because the first horse I worked on, Shelby, the paint Mustang and George Hatter. And uh, basically, I mean, Shelby just was so traumatized from her gather and from what other trainers had done. And it's like, she was like climbing walls, you know, and I go to work on her and I think I hit her C, I hit her cervical three or four or five or six. And literally she went down. She just laid down. She just lay down and pat and George is sitting there going, Oh my God. And I'm going, Oh my God. So like, did I hurt the horse? But she passed out, passed out. And when she got up, she, and she also too, she had a really like a white eye, you know, like how, like, I don't like horses with white eye only. Cause I'm like, you have something really going on that disturbed you. And I don't want to be the brunt of why that works out. But when she got up, the white eye was gone and she got up and she shook off. And I think within a really, really short time, not even like a day or two later, she was connecting with George. She was letting George touch her. And what blew my mind about that was I'm not new to horses. I'm not the best horse person in the world. I couldn't really tell you how to ride. I could tell you where you're not in sync. I can't teach you the techniques of riding. But everything that I know about horses and training is like, you have to move their feet to to change their brain. And when I saw this with Shelby, I was like, wait a second, you guys are actually had me go through this because you're teaching me stuff new, aren't you? And they were laughing at me. (laughs) I was like, great. So I was like, the whole theory that we have that in order to change a horse's brain or to help them, you have to train them started to go out the window with that very first session. And I was like, I took a big gulp because I was like, you realize that once you teach me this, then you're actually wanting me to share this with people, right? And people that have a lot more experience than I do. And so that's what, that's how the PhD started. And with each session, what was mind blowing was within the session, without even physically ever touching the animals, without ever moving their feet, these animals' baseline behaviors were changing. And what they showed me ultimately from that was that we as humans have made it way overcomplicated. We've way overcomplicated the science. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of absolutely incredible in-depth science, but they said, according to them, they said it's really easy. Our bodies are the master key to our our, our spines are the master key to our brains and our whole functioning of our whole system. If you get the spine alignment right, anywhere where we were tight, it's going to release our cerebrospinal fluid being stuck in our spine. It's going to open up our breathing. Our breathing opens up our nervous system. And that happening is what changes how the chemistry flows to the brain. And I was like, so you want me, <laughs> let me see if I understand this correctly. <laughs> and no, just be in mind, like they didn't tell me any of these things ahead of time. They were making me go through this stuff, see it for myself, 
have somebody else witnessing this as well. And then they were telling me and cluing me in on these pieces. So I was like, so you mean to tell me that there's all this science about you guys? You know, there's the medical sciences, there's brain chemistry sciences, there's behavior sciences. But you guys know the science in a very different way. And they said, yeah, for us, it's really simple. They're like, we don't sit there and talk about whether it's dopamine or serotonin or, you know, whatever chemicals. We're not talking about, well, it's my liver chi or my, they're like, we're living as a whole entire organic system. And we're really, really simple. And they said, now they didn't tell me this till after I completed so I started the case studies and it took me two years to actually complete my PhD. The case studies were done in six months. The anxiety that I had after that piece was done, because I was like, look, this just happens to be my zone of genius. I, I'm good at this. But I was like, oh my God, now I have to write a PhD on which people are going to look at it. They're going to read it. They're going to judge it. I'm, I'm like mortified because I'm not a scientist. And they were like, you need to get over it. You need to scoop your own poop, babe. <laughs> That's what you need to do. And it wasn't until three months before I handed in my PhD, I did a past life regression with somebody, somebody that I trust and respect. And what happened in that past life regression was I was like a hermetic scientist somewhere in Turkey. And I was basically putting all together all this information on the quantum physics, not the religious God stuff, but the universe stuff. And as I was walking to town one day, I happened to get killed by some priests who took a branding iron and branded my heart and cut me open completely and left me to basically die because they were like, no, you have to do God the way we do God. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing. That isn't, that's not really the way that it works. And they didn't want me to expose that. And as soon as I had finished that past life regression, in the next three months, going up to my horse's paddock every day, laying down on a blanket and writing my PhD in my phone with my dog and hanging out with my horse, in three months, my PhD was done and submitted. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very, very cool. Right. Okay, so now we're gonna now we're gonna backtrack a bit. Well, actually, a question that came up while you were talking there is, you know, when you were driving through the mountain pass and the horses said pull over, mm -hmm. is it like, hey, Alicia, it's Clancy here? Mm -hmm. Is it is it is it is it like that? Do you yeah. hear? Do you, do they mm -hmm. they they identify themselves, or you get a feeling that that's them, or is it a voice? Is it a feeling? Like I, I'm not my my uh my intuition all that sort of stuff has been uh, suppressed for so long i'm mm -hmm. just trying to figure it out so I, i've got no idea mm -hmm. what i was going to say what people like you but i think we're all people like you we just mm -hmm. have uh you know society has made us ignore or shut down mm -hmm. uh you know, gifts that we all have. So, but anyway, yeah. so my question here is not being, uh, not having been aware of that stuff or not being able to use that stuff yet. How do you get this? Is it, is it, is it a, a combination of things? Is it, is it just a voice? Is it, 
is it a feeling? Is it intuition? I had a podcast guest here a while ago who is an animal communicator from Sweden named Emily Kay's daughter. The mm-hmm. craziest conversation I've ever had, and I mean crazy in a good way, but she mm-hmm. actually inhabits the consciousness of mm-hmm. the animal. So what, how does it work for you? So to break it down, we have inner seeing, inner hearing, inner feeling, and inner knowing, mm. right? We all have this. This is everybody. This is every single being on the planet, every grain of sand, every blade of grass, every horse, every tiger, every bear, every human. I don't care what sex you are. I don't care what your sexual preference is. I don't care what your political preference is. I don't care what your economic difference Like At our essence level, we are hardwired for this. It's, it's part of our software. Okay. Can I so, um, just question mm-hmm. you on that a little bit? So in a vision would be like what you see in your mind's eye. Is that Yes. Okay, so like, that- let's say right now I was to tune into one of your horses, right? Mm-hmm. I'm visually looking at you, but as soon as I heard the name of your horse, I get a different inner visual of who and what that being is. Okay. Now, when I start teaching animal communication or interspecies <clears throat> communication, we always start with Different people have seen things throughout their life, like inner visions, deja vus, dreams. Different people have heard, you know, like an inner voice. Different people feel things. Different people know things. So we always start with what's their primary thing that's most natural to them, but they mm. may have been like, no, 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 that, I, that, that can't be true, right? Because you said it, society teaches us and we get indoctrinated and our entire world in terms of the modern world has been indoctrinated to separate ourselves from nature, right? Isn't that what happened with all the indigenous cultures? They, they brought them to, you know, schools of indoctrination. Like we're going to, we're going to school that out of you. Like we're going to school that knowing, but that's how they grew up. And a lot of that came from your priest friends who branded you. Exactly. 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 And and, so, and sorry, I just want to make another point a, there too. Not yeah. just separation from animals, but separation from ourselves. Everything. Like you oh, know, 100%. like the, the, the That's head, what trauma is. The head from the body. Okay. So you want to know what ego really is that the mm. animals taught me? Okay. Ego is not a bad thing. Ego is actually a protective mechanism. All right. The brain itself cannot feel anything. It doesn't feel, it just lights up different signals, which is interesting, right? But it's a processor. It's not where we feel. We feel in our bodies. So I've had a lot of trauma in my life. And that trauma, like all of us, it it's too much to feel in our physical bodies. We feel like we're going to die. So what the brain says is, oh, no worries, just come up here. Because up here, you can still live your life. But you won't have to feel. So that's the cutoff. That's exactly what you just talked about. That is where we get split. And the ego is developed because that ego in the head is saying, come up here so I can protect you from this situation. But then what happens is then we start to live in our head and we disconnect from our bodies. Horses, animals, all mammals pretty much live in their bodies. Humans are the only ones with the bigger prefrontal cortex. 
Sometimes I think it's a good thing. Sometimes I think it's not such a good thing. However, we were always intended to get back into our body and feel what we couldn't feel at the time because our younger selves didn't understand all of this, didn't have all of this awareness and consciousness. Like all we knew is I feel like I'm going to die because I'm in my body. So that's really actually what they showed me of where our ego gets started. So ego is not a bad thing because it's trying to protect us and keep us safe during a trauma. But then we have to get back down into our bodies. And that's what Qigong taught me how to do. Because I really didn't realize how much I was living in my head. I thought I was a very physical being, always, always athletic, always doing things with my body. But I didn't understand that the body, our first brain is not our head brain. Our first brain is actually our gut brain. It's our enteric system. It's like when a phone takes a picture and there's raw data. That's what's actually coming in that we have to pay attention to. And it's a full sensory experience. Are you seeing a ghost? No, I'm not seeing a ghost. I'm, there's, there's, a book, there's a book around here somewhere. I want to read a passage to you from. And okay. I'm looking at my bookshelf here. I was like, uh-oh. So I, I, I should have told you. I'm not ignoring you. I'm looking for a book. Because you guys at home, I've just completely turned around and I've almost got my back to Alicia. And I'm looking for... Don't see it, but it's a book someone from Colorado, you're from Colorado, a book yeah. someone from Colorado yeah. sent me, and it's called yeah. Radical Wholeness. Mm. Let me see if I can find so, it. So all of these things that we talk about in terms of energy, energetics, bioenergetics, like what we're supposedly learning now about the field, the field's always been there. I remember sitting on the bike at the gym one day. And I was just looking at the TV and I'm riding the bike and I'm thinking about God. And I'm like, why is it that it feels like a lot of times God goes in and out? And all of a sudden, like the voice that talks to me, you know, that's telling me things aside from the animals goes, why do you think it's God that goes in and out? And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, well, you've flown out of Aspen Airport when there's clouds. And you can't see the blue sky. And then you get past the blue sky. uh, You get past the clouds and the blue sky is always there. I was like, wait, what? And they said, God is always there. It's us that goes away. And I will never forget that. Ever. Because, you know, when we talk about a lot of things and even... It's kind of funny. I talk about quantum physics when I failed all my math and science, but it just happens that I was born in Albert Einstein Hospital in the Bronx. I kid you not. So I must have gotten some of his spiritual DNA somehow through Qigong and understanding all of this stuff because a lot of what we don't understand is like, think about alphabet soup. A lot of what we do is the alphabets. Rarely. Are we paying attention to the fact that we're part of a big soup? And that's the unified field. Always there. Whether we get disconnected from it or we don't. It never, ever goes away. It's what we live in. And because of all the indoctrination and the education that we've been through, the animals are the ones that are bringing us back home. 
remembering what has always been. And there's a favorite quote I have. It's a Native American awareness that in the beginning, the creator did not speak with the humans. The creator spoke with the animals. And it was the animals that educated the humans about proper codes of conduct and behavior on Mother Earth. So she would always thrive and be protected. And I came to see that the animals know this wisdom. So just to get back to your question of how does it come to me? Well, it's all of it. So like when the horses said, hey, pull over, I heard the voice, but I saw the herd at the same time. It happens in simultaneity for me. And I felt like, oh, this is big. But I knew I was like, oh, wow, something they're serious about this. I need to pull over. Now, because we have this brain that's a processor, it can only process certain amounts of information at a time when we're running it through this head brain. But when it comes through your gut brain, which is our first brain, it's like, think about it as like a 360 degree experience. It's all happening in simultaneity. It's not like, oh, there's a separate, there's a voice, and then there's a picture. It's all at once. So we are actually the supercomputer. And and we've been being told that we're the most intelligent species, but you can't be the most intelligent species when you're compartmentalizing out everything. Because then you get conflicting information. Like the animals... When they're in the wild, they don't have any conflicting information. They understand all of it as a totality of an experience. I'm like, I see the look on your face. I'm like, I think I'm just going to stop here for a moment. No, I I, I was actually just looking (laughs) up the, 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 remember a minute ago I said I was looking for a book. Yeah. I wanted to read a passage to you from. I just, while you were talking here, I just looked it up online here. Um, Because exactly what you're saying right there. So in this book, Radical Wholeness, uh, it talks about the Anglo-Iwe culture of West Africa, okay? Mm-hmm. And they think we have more senses than, than what, you know, science tells us. We're only told we have five. We have 12. Right. And more than that. <laughs> I think the Anglo-Iwe think we have 12. Um, you know, speech is considered a sense for these guys because speaking is an experience that is felt in the mouth and the body and the body. But anyway, it goes on to say, so they have this term that's called seselalame. Okay, now it says neuroscience organizes human senses into three categories: extraception, proprioception, and interoception. Okay, and extraception is the five senses they say we have. Okay, whether the Anglo Iwe places the realm of internal sense front and center. And this this term sesesalame translates into English as feel, feel at flesh inside. And so they they um they call this sesesalame. And it says it's all that is perceived through the sensations of the body using exteroception, proprioception, and interoception. And that's exactly what you're saying the animals do is they, 
And, and so you think about this this tribe in West Africa. They live like we're supposed to live. So lately on the podcast, I've had people on here talking about like hunter-gatherers and how hunter-gatherers lived and how our bodies evolved to live a certain way and we no longer live that way. And what you're talking about is us living like we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, as we all know, there's a lot of trauma going on on planet Earth. Mm. Right? We're very disconnected from how do you create trauma? You can't feel anymore. If you can't feel and you're just thinking and you just do stuff. But as soon as you get the sensation of, <gasps> whoa, what did that feel like? I don't ever want to do that again. I don't ever want to behave that way again. There isn't a separation of anything. That's the problem that we've run into in our Western world. When, how many thousands of years back did it start? I'm not sure. But I do know that the animals have been able to keep the web of life the interconnectedness of all life, they have the knowledge and the wisdom. Like, so we have modern science, right? Well, the animals have natural science. So even when we have biologists and ethologists out in the wild and studying the animals, and there's some really amazing information, you know, they pick up from observation. The best that we can do is still body language. I mean, we both know, like, I I know we're not going to totally talk about horses, but any of it, whether you talk about horses, the dog world, the training, anytime you're training, primarily, even if you're doing natural horsemanship, we're only visual, we're only seeing the outside and then we're making assumptions about what we think and believe that that is. When you get into the telepathic part, and I understand what, I'm so sorry. Tell me your name again. Emily. Emily. Okay. So what Emily was saying is absolutely spot on because when you get to the level of true consciousness and everybody's talking consciousness, 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 right? It's all over like our world now. And I'm like, you know what? If you're even telling me that you're conscious, you're not conscious because when you're truly, truly conscious and awake, it is such a total experience and it is you're so immersed in it you can't even talk about being conscious because it's consciousness isn't even separate from it it's like a fish being in water that's so all-encompassing like if we can understand consciousness from that perspective right and that we not go to all the places where we, our brain is like, I'm so intelligent. Look at what I know. And I can separate this out and I can tell you this and I can tell you that. Can I, can I curse for a second? Am I go, go ahead. It's, go not, ahead. it's not a bad curse, but okay, go ahead. we don't know. I don't know shit. And I had to realize that like all the things that I thought I knew, I never show up to working with an animal and go, okay, I know, I know what's wrong with you. I go, Hey, can we, talk for a second. Like, I know that you're aware and I know that you know your body the same way that I know my body. Maybe you don't think about your body in the way I understand it as a human perspective, but you can show me things. You can tell me things. I can hear what's up. So 
Can we talk? So it's not like I, I never approach any, I used to approach things like, oh, I know. I don't know anything. I just know how to show up and literally be really quiet and just listen. Sometimes it comes in a picture. Sometimes they're telling me things and explaining a situation of where and why they're struggling. And honestly, oftentimes how, how their human is struggling and why it's causing a problem for them. You know, as trainers, as communicators, we're used to everybody coming to us with the Christmas list of what's wrong with my animal. But somehow they never put themselves in the spot of, oh my God, what issue could my animal be having with me? Mm. Oof. That's, <laughs> that is, that's been the biggest, like for me in the last five or six years, you know, helping people with their horses. Uh, I've, you know, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I used to, something, a lot of people I could help with their horses, but a lot of, some people I couldn't help them with their horses because I used to think that they were not good with horses. And it, and it dawned on me at some point in time that they were not good with themselves. And it's, you know, it's more, um, you know, so more being self-aware and oh, so self-aware. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, you were talking, just what you were talking about right then, um, I'm currently listening to a book by a fellow named Charles Foster, and I think he's some sort of a British naturalist or something rather. But the book's called mm-hmm. Being a Human, Adventures in 40,000 Years of Consciousness. And there's one part of the book where he's talking about, he's out in the forest in England somewhere, and he says something about the trees. And he says, I've never really seen a tree. As a matter of fact, it's been a long time since I've seen anything. He said, when I look at a tree, the light reflects off the tree and bounces into my retina, and then I categorize the tree into what species it is and what diseases it may have, and if it's mm-hmm. deciduous, do the leaves fall off, do they do this, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I just have all these judgments and facts about this tree, but I don't really see the tree. He said, I once met a man who could see a tree, and he scared me so much, I packed up my bags and I ran to the nearest airport in Kathmandu and flew home. And it's it's a bad. Oh, he whole, wouldn't want to hang out with me talking to trees. <laughs> he, I think he would actually. What he's saying is, when he looks at a tree, he doesn't see the tree. He's he's he sees his story about the tree and all the facts he knows right. about the tree and the right. and the and before yes. we came on here today, you talked. You were talk, tell me a story about. Um, I think it was with dolphins. We might get to that, but you were talking about the practice of Qigong had allowed you to remove some lenses. Yes. Yes. So you could see things. And for me, helping people with their horses, that's one of the first things I'm doing is trying to get them to remove lenses about horses because they don't, you know, we are, the easiest people I think to help with horses are people who know nothing about horses. Because, 100%. Because they don't have – 100% have, agree. They don't have a lifetime of dogma about you must have the horse respect yes. you and, you know, alpha this and all that sort of stuff. But yes. it's um, – I might have you, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about lenses and removing lenses because I mm. think that that is a – I think that is something that, in my experience, people – Many people aren't really aware that they have them, and I think the more of them you have, and we all have a lot of them, and and no one is to blame for having them, so it's not like we're picking on anybody here. Exactly. But 
but removing those those lenses i think uh, uh the you know the beginning of living a much more fulfilling life um well uh, you know what we we'll go there but let's let's go back i want to know why how how did you end up with any of this energy work, whether it was Jigong to start with, because you had mentioned, you said, I've had a lot of trauma in my life. And it seems like, you know, like I know in indigenous cultures, usually shamans have had terrible things happen. And it's the, you know, it's the whole wounded healer archetype. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you've got to have bad stuff happen to you. That's part of your journey to, To being that wounded healer type archetype, but yeah, sorry, I'm rambling here. Do you want to let's? Can you talk a bit about what was the start of your, or maybe maybe what led you to Jigong? Let's talk about that. Well, first, I would just want to say I'm so grateful to be talking with you, and it is so freaking cool where you are willing to go. Like it's not kidding. Like it just puts such a smile on my face because you're living it and you're experiencing it for yourself and then you're sharing it. And I just like from my heart to your heart, like I just give you such a huge hug. So thank you for that. Thank you. So this was never on my bucket list. What happened was I've been probably, um, Probably clinically depressed in and out of my life, in 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 and out my whole life. I didn't know. I I had a lot of trauma, which I didn't know till I was like 19 years old. But things happened in my life, and I just thought it was like normal. But can what I ask really you, started. Can I, sorry, happen, can I ask yeah. you a question there? Totally. You had a lot of trauma. You didn't know. I didn't know. Is is that so? Did. You, because I had a lot of trauma, I didn't know because I just thought that was normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it? Was it? Was it stuff that happened to you that you thought? You know, I used to think I had the perfect childhood. Was it that, okay. or was it stuff that your mind that happened to you and your mind blocked it out? You didn't even know it happened. Oh, my mind blocked it out. I was sexually abused by my father when okay. I was one and a half. Okay. okay, I didn't know. I didn't know that anything was wrong till I was nineteen. Then I started. I was watching. I was in college. And I, my college was close to my house. So I still lived in my apartment that I grew up in since I was nine. But one day I was laying on the couch and I, I kind of, I was like in between classes and I was, I don't know if you call it depressed. I don't know what you would call it, but it just felt like there was this huge veil, this wet blanket over me that I could not get out from under. And I was watching Oprah and there was this gal on, this young black woman that was talking about incest. And my body went from laying parallel to the floor mm. to shooting up like 12 o'clock noon on the clock. And I was like, what happened to me? Because I didn't remember. Didn't I blocked out the entire one and a half. What do you really know? But mm. I mean, I remember being inside my mother's womb and hearing my parents actually have conversations. I remember sitting on the couch at three months old, watching the moon landing. Like, I remember these things. I don't know how I remember these things, but I literally remember them. But I had blocked that stuff out. But then the things like... Can I ask you... Sorry, I didn't, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Can I ask another question? Okay. Um, yeah, of course. Do you always... Did you always remember 
being inside your mother's womb, hearing the conversations outside, or is no. this this stuff's come back to you as you as you've done yes. like the qigong exactly. and okay, okay, yes, hundred okay, percent. Okay, okay, sorry. Go so, ahead. um, I mean, I remember I was probably like six years. I remember it this morning. It was so weird. I was like six years old. My mom went out bowling. My dad had cooked my sister and I food dinner, and he loved Franken beans. I hated Franken beans. I mean, literally, I could vomit in my mouth. I was like, oh, like that is not supposed to go into my body. And so I was sitting there and I'm playing with my food and watching TV. And my father's like, why don't you eat your dinner? And I said, because I can't eat this. I was like, I will throw up. And he's like, you better eat it. And I didn't know, like, at six years, I, I didn't know how to respond to that. It was like, this is my body and my body's saying no, but you're telling me I have to eat this. Well, I didn't eat my frankenbeans. He literally out of nowhere grabbed me by my shirt collar, threw me up against the wall. Like, you know, I'm six, he's like six, three, and I'm hanging there in the air petrified because I I don't even know, like, because I don't want to eat my frankenbeans, like you're going to traumatize me. You know, he throws me up against the wall and he's like, eat your fucking franks and beans. And I ate it and I vomited. But it's like, I didn't realize that that was actually abuse. Mm. Now, uh, you know, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. Like, there are things that happen to people that are so much worse. But but that's what happened to me. And I didn't I didn't understand. Like, okay, I guess that's just normal. It's what your parent does. Um, You know, you know, the thing about. Because you just, right there, you almost tried to diminish what happened to you. Yes, I, I and I caught that too. I heard your thinking. <laughs> comparing it to people have yeah. had worse things happen to them. And so something I w- became aware of oh, a few years ago when I first started reading a lot of Brene Brown's books and she was talking about how she was, she did this workshop with this group of sexual assault survivors. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was two days and the first morning, you know, she started off the thing and they did the whole thing and they talked about stuff all day. And then the next morning she started out the session and they said, oh, stop, hang on a second. We forgot to tell you, but what we normally do when we meet is at the start, we go around and we name our abuser. Mm. And we didn't do it yesterday, but, but so can you start off and you can name your abuser? And Brene Brown said, but I wasn't sexually abused. And they said, no, but yesterday you said you feel this and you feel this and you feel this and you feel this. And, you know, this happens in your body and this happened. And she goes, and she said, trauma's trauma. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what happened. It, exactly. it does the same thing in your body. So I just wanted to pull you up there and say, don't. It's true. I heard you. That's the telepathy part. I heard you before you said it. And I mm. knew as soon as I said it, I was like, he's already aware of this. Okay. But no, not diminishing it. I, I'm, what I'm saying is that at that age, I didn't even know that that was abuse. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I had, had no other sense of framework. Like I'd been in my friend's houses. I didn't see anything like that. I didn't even understand at six years old that that was abuse. So I'm not diminishing it whatsoever. I just get it. Like at that age, I couldn't understand that was abusive. I just thought it, like you said, you just think it's normal. I understand it now, 
But I grew up in a household where I had to have an armor around me because when that sexual trauma happened, I jumped ship. Yeah. My whole entire being, the essence of who I am, the orgasmic energy that I am, the life force that I am, that died. It was done. I was gone. And all I was was a shell. So I had to create a personality because I went so far up into my head that I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't find my physical body. I couldn't find my soul anymore. And so by the time I got to like 13, 14, 15, I wasn't realizing it at the time, the depression. But when I got into 17, 16, 17, 18, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to die. I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't understand why I was here. I didn't understand what my purpose was. I didn't understand. And the only thing that ever kept me connected was the animals. Ever. It was never the people. I never would have just stayed for the people. Because of what happened, it was so damaging that I couldn't make that connection again. I could, because the thing was, it wasn't about making the connection with them. It was like, I couldn't find the connection to myself. That was the problem. And so when you think about that and you think about how many people have been abused and like you said, you know, abuse is abuse. I mean, trauma is trauma. And then you got all these people walking around that haven't even thought whatsoever about healing themselves or that they even have an issue. They're not even aware that they have an issue. Yeah. And I think- and then going to work with horses that are so honest and pure and clean and clear. And they have their own traumas too, mostly by us. Cause even the horses on the range, seriously, they really don't have issues. They have issues when they come and connect with us and what we do. Right. Have you so ever heard of a book called, it's by a guy named Robert, Sapolsky, and it's called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. No, but... And, and it's about how, a, about how you know, animals in the world don't have trauma because, no. because trauma is stuff... shake the shit that, off. Yeah, the trauma is stuff you that's stuck in your body. You know, if you think about... Right. And I've been talking about this a lot at clinics lately. <laughs> if in the wild, let's say it's a... I don't know, let's say it's, a, it's an antelope in Africa. Okay. I just uh, saw antelope when I was in Montana, and I saw six baby antelope with oh, their parents. Really? And I, I mean, I almost fell over myself out of the car. They were the cutest things I have ever seen in my freaking entire life. And I was like, how anybody cannot be sensitive enough not to hurt these beings. I don't get it. Mm. But it was just, like, you brought up antelope. So I was like, oh, my God, baby antelope. <laughs> you know, so let's say in the wild. A lion in Africa chases a gazelle. Let's go with the gazelle. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chases the gazelle. So the gazelle goes into fight or flight, which is flight, runs away from the lion. The lion catches the gazelle. Once mm-hmm. the lion gets a hold of the gazelle, there's no use fighting anymore because I will tear myself to pieces on these fangs. So we go into mm-hmm. freeze mode. We go limp. And then the well, lion... there's a mechanism built in. You know yes. about that mechanism? That's the anesthetic. That's yes. sort of like, okay, that's what was God's compassion. For, yes, most right, certainly. If you, yeah, okay, cool. So the lion takes you back to the cubs and the, the gazelle is limp. 
And so the lion might think for a minute the gazelle's dead and put the gazelle down to do something or whatever, okay? And so then the gazelle has the opportunity to go back through that fight-flight response, jump up and run away. But in the wild, once you go into that freeze mode, that freeze or flop mode, there's only two outcomes. You escape or you die, okay? You don't live in that shutdown state. The, right. the, gazette, the, the lion doesn't put a collar on you and tie you to a tree and keep you as a pet. And so... That's hap- that happens to us, though, as kids when we get traumatized oh, and yeah, we don't yeah. have a way out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is we are yeah. not supposed to stay in Mm-mm. that mode. That's, that's yeah. the point I'm trying to make, and I talk about a lot at clinics, and, and domesticated totally. horses are in that state a lot, and, a lot. And, and, and you've been in, you've been in shutdown mode. So you know what it's like when you're shut. You mentioned it. When you're shut down, you don't know you're shut down. My wife no. has anxiety. And nothing gets in. Nothing right. My wife has anxiety. In. And when you're anxious, you know you're anxious. When you're shut mm-hmm. down, the world is just pretty gray. You're numb. You're, you're numb. Just... But if you've always been numb, you don't know you're numb. And you talked before exactly. about that, that internal life force thing. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, depending on what I'm doing, whether it's some sort of meditation or maybe it's some therapy or whatever, but I'll start to, it'll start to come back online and I get to where I'm, uh, parts of me will vibrate and it's like, oh, that's interesting. And I've actually had very few glimpses of when the whole body is vibrating. It's like a tuning fork and it's like, yes. oh, shit, a person could live like that? Yes. Like that's what Qigong did for me. Like I, I didn't. Trust me, it wasn't on my bucket list to sit and listen to a little Chinese guy who I didn't understand that was going to stick me with needles. That's not what was on my bucket list. I hated needles. I didn't even understand anything about other cultures. And one of my clients, who's one of my really dear friends and kind of like my spiritual mom, even though I looked alive and vibrant on the outside, I was dying on the inside because I couldn't touch that core essence of my being. You know, so I thought I knew who I was, but this is a very interesting thing that the animals shared with me. And then I started to learn with telepathy. Hello. There's a, there's a cat about to step on my keyboard here. So if something goes wrong, it's because the cat's on my keyboard. It's so funny. Usually when I'm on like some animal from someone, they always just come in and hang out in the room. They just start to feel the energy. Okay. This cat, this is my office. This cat never comes up on this desk here. That's, I'm telling you, I was on, Ever. I've, I've been on with different people and it's astounding. Like these animals just show up and they're like, oh, I get you. I'm just hanging out in your vibe. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. No, she's no definitely problem. hanging out in your vibe. Hey, darling. Oh, she's fabulous. Oh, she's got such a cool personality. She's, she's queen bee. No question. She knows herself very, very well, and she's very comfortable with herself. You are she's very in tune with herself. Um, yeah, so a lot of this, not kidding, it's weird, but honestly, a lot of this was born out of wanting to die to the trauma of what I experienced, not really actually having known I experienced it. That it, that it was trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that it was that. Right. And my yeah. mom also, she had a mom who was... So clinically manic depressive. I mean, like 
you know, the, the jolts to the head kind of thing yeah. with the electric stuff mm-hmm. and in and out of, um, in and out of institutions and stuff. And, um, you know, we also forget too, that there's like ancestral trauma. Right. Right. And like, so one day my mom came out to visit me in um, Colorado and she just, she was like, I'm getting a migraine, you know, it's the altitude, whatever. She's like, I'm having a really hard time breathing. And at the time I was really into my Qigong. And I was like, one of the things that Qigong taught me was get rid of the books for a little bit. Like, it's cool to understand those things, but have the experience and then tell me about your experience. Right. Because then that makes you be in your body to have to describe what you are experiencing. So I'm very empathic, which just kind of means like literally like I pick up. I mean, you could teach me a whole system. I don't need to know the whole system. I understand how to go right to the center of the system, to the essence of it. That's somehow how my grandmaster Lou, my Qigong master, the Qigong that he taught us, that's what it did. Right. It brought us right. Now, I don't know everybody. That was just my experience. But my mom's standing there. And we're in the kitchen. And I said, Mom, would you trust me? And she said, yeah. I said, OK, I'm going to have you breathe in a certain way because I had been studying breath work. And again, that came through my Qigong. I was just shown through my practice. This is how you do it. And I put my fingers on two points on her face. And she was like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I got to lay down. I got to lay down. When she got back up. I cannot explain this, but she looked 25 years younger. I don't know how to explain that, Warwick. I mean, it's like, okay, I get it. That's a chi field, and that's what happens when we let go. Three and a half weeks later, she had gone to uh, see her brother and her sister. They went to the beach to have lunch. And my mom has like a bit of a kyphosis, like a roundedness in her back. And they never really knew like why she had it. But her brother lands up telling her, don't you remember when you were three months old, mommy threw you out a three-story window and you landed on the grass in the park? My mother never remembered that until that moment. That's where all the nausea was coming. Like mm. she could never figure out where the migraines were coming from, Where right? Because it was an experience that happened to her that her body remembered. But she, at three months old, she couldn't remember that. But not not for nothing. But who the hell would want to remember that, right? So it it's just, we have no idea what we're carrying a lot of the times. Trapped in our bodies. Like we think our brains are so intelligent, right? But I'm like, the brain's just the processor. The body is really where the wisdom and the intelligence comes from. And that's, so the telepathy happened first, right? Of being able to hear and listen. Then what started to happen was the body work because I was getting acupuncture and because one of my, my spiritual mom was training in medical Qigong. So you're not using needles, but you're using your fingers to push on different points and help the whole entire system like come back into balance and traditional Chinese medicine. Like even though those, you know, Western medicine will sit there and say, well, they don't know that much. I'm like, ah, for 5,000 years, they've Mm. been studying how this, I kind of trust it. And I've seen it like how it works. So one my girlfriend would give me these Qigong meridian therapy treatments. And it was so weird. Like once my, And I would just sit in the chair and she'd work on my body. And then one day my dog was jumping for a Frisbee 
and his back feet didn't catch him. So he landed right on his tailbone. And I had never studied Qigong Meridian therapy, nor would I say I was doing Qigong Meridian therapy. But while I was sitting there with the dog, he's like, why don't you do that thing for me that your friend does on you? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, I'm a human, you're a dog. He goes, just do it. She's so funny. She's like, well, I got a kink in my back. She's like, why don't you take that kink out of my back? I'm like, well, we could, we could do a body assessment on it right now if you want. I don't know if you guys just heard it, but this cat just purred into the microphone. But this cat never <laughs> never comes up here in my desk like this. you know. I was on with Loki Phillips, and, and we were working on his horses like at a distance, but I could not see the horses. So uh-huh. he was in his office. He goes, I was like, oh, my God, your cat. He goes, no, this isn't my, this is my brother, my cat's brother. He never comes in here. And I was laughing. I was like, ah, what can I say? The cats love me. <laughs> this cat is just, and she's excited right now. Like she's, yeah, yeah. She, this is. Well, she's is, like, oh, we're going on a whole nother journey with body alignment and telepathic mm, communication. Yeah. She's like, this is cool. She's so I, I did the thing with my dog, right? And within four days, and we had been to the vet and was, he was paralyzed for four days. He couldn't walk, but I just kept doing this treatment. And somehow he was indoctrinating me into, Hey, you could do this on the animals too. Like it doesn't just have to be humans. And that's literally how I created my instinct body assessment because he showed me what to do. And then I landed up years later with a, with a dog (laughs) She's like, where is she? I'm like, Turn it's, around. I'm on. I'm. I'm not in the microphone, baby. I'm on this the cat, computer. <laughs> this cat is purring into the microphone. She's just knocking the microphone over. Well, she said basically, she's saying, um, by the way, this is not all about horses. Like all of us animals, including us cats, this we're te- we're telepathic. You can work on our bodies. You can you can do so much with us. So it was very interesting. Because some things I studied in books, some things I took some classes, but the rest of it, the analysts were like, you're going to have to just trust us and we'll show you exactly what to do and we'll tell you how to do it. And uh, so we went from that using telepathy to actually understanding the natural science of the animals, like literally their behavior patterns, but not the way we see them as humans. Like how their bodies literally, especially the things that we can't recognize or pick up, it affects their behaviors. It affects everything. And, and, and us too. Like, I think the biggest picture is honestly, yes, we have a prefrontal cortex, but we're all mammals. And uh, you can, we can acquire a lot of information. We seem to be in the information age, right? There's so much information. And they, the animals are funny. They go, yeah, you people think information is power. Knowledge is power. But they said, unless you actually use that power combined with wisdom, all it is is just more information. And that blew me away. I was like, whoa. More takes place in silence sometimes, right, than it does even in speaking. 
It does. This um, this cat is just going nuts. Right I know. Now. Do you mind if I do? Can I tell you? Like, yes. Are you okay if I um, work on yeah, that? Let's 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 work on the cat on the podcast. Okay. I'm down. Okay. Cool. So I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm at on the cat. I can't fully see her. You can see her, but I'll tell you where she's at, and you tell me what she does and how she shifts. Because she's like, listen, I got a vertebrae out in my back, and you need to fix it. So I'm going to start at the top of her head between her ears. Do you see how she just sat still? Because now I can see her. She's like, oh, you're touching me. I'm like, I am touching you. You can feel me. And you're you're in California, so we're at least 1,250 miles from each other. Yes. All right. So I'm checking the top of her head. And, I'm, and basically, my hands are one inch off the center, okay, what her spine would be. I'm one inch off the center of the top of her head. So for you guys at home, she's now sitting perfectly still. She's been walking backwards and forth, rubbing on me, rubbing on me, moving around. Right now, she's sitting perfectly still, like a sphinx. Okay. Cat. So now I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little forward of the center of the top of her head, and she's got a little bit of um, compression in her cranial plate. So I'm just going to open that up for her. Now she's stretching out her neck a little bit more. She's like, "You really are touching me." I was like, "Yeah, I know." So this is Warwick. This is quantum entanglements. This is regardless of where we are. No matter how much space, time, distance, I don't even know your cat. Now, she's got a little bit of compression that's dead center of her head, a little bit off to the left. So I'm releasing that. She's like, yeah, I banged into the wall. I was like, okay. Um, This is quantum entanglements, literally in action. Like, this is who and what we are. We all have these capabilities. Okay, now I'm a little bit behind the front of her head. And the left side is compressed down a little bit like towards the ground and the right side was popped up a little bit. So I'm rebalancing that. Right She's now, this, hilarious. The way she's staring at you right this now. Cat is she's sitting, like, are you seeing this? Yes, I'm seeing this. This cat is sitting in front of me, <laughs> staring me in the eyes and not blinking and not looking away. And this cat has never done this her entire life. Okay. So now I'm on her occiput. So her, the left side of her occiput stuck a little bit. So see how she just turned her head to the right. She's mm-hmm. helping me release that on her. Like, oh, that was, she's like, yeah, that's stuck. Okay, we're unsticking it right now. There you go. Okay, now we're even. Now her occiput's even. Now I'm on C1. You're on C1. So C1 yeah. is popped up a little bit on the left and compressed down a little bit on the right. So I'm just rebalancing that for her. Is she indoor, outdoor? Both. We're just indoor. Yeah, because I was like, oh, these things didn't just happen in the house. I was like, you are a huntress. Oh, yeah. She's, She's like, yes, I am. I am a huntress. She said, but they should take the damn bell off of me because it like screws up things when I go to catch stuff. She said, I understand why. But she said, from my perspective, the bell thing isn't exactly happening. Doesn't help me. me catch birds. No, it does not. All right. So her C3 is pretty... Um, <laughs> compressed inward and like shifted awkwardly. So we're opening that up. Oh boy. So that's opened up her whole head and her neck. Now this is the thing too. Like, so yes, we have chiropractors. We have amazing body practitioners, right? What I do where we are right now is kind of actually the 5D. Does that make sense? We're sort of out of the 3D dimension of that those five senses, and now we're getting into those 12 senses because now we've actually entered 
just a dimension where, holy cow, quantum entanglements are really real. So they're happening all the time, but we don't always sense them with our five senses. We sense, we have to go beyond the five senses. Like one of my other favorite quotes is from Grandmaster Nan Lu, and he, he used to say to us, I teach you the technique, not so you stay stuck in the technique. I teach you the technique so you transcend the technique and you're working with pure energy. So we learn technique, right? Whether it's horse training, going to the gym, qigong. But the whole point is not to stay stuck in the five steps. The whole point is use those steps to train your energy, to train your chi. And as your chi gets trained, because one of the things about chi, and I'm still working on your cat. I'm still going down her neck while we're talking. That's why you see my thumbs kind of moving. Mm. I'm working on her while we're talking. The thing with chi, the trauma disrupts the chi. Different things happen. Our chi gets disturbed. We're eating. Chi is our vital energy force. It's everything that we are. It's, it's the soup, basically, right? And so when that gets turbid, the reason why we practice things like Qigong is, is he used to tell us it's like taking an inner shower every day. He said, you take an outer shower for your outer body. Qigong is like the inner shower that keeps the energy flowing, that keeps the spine structure balanced, that keeps the flow that happens inside the body fluid. That's why when I work on these animals and I work on their bodies, their behaviors can shift almost instantly and their health can shift almost instantaneously at the speed of light when I'm not even touching them. Because the chi is connected no matter what species you are, no matter it's it's who we it's it's the essence of who we are. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, most certainly. Yeah. So the cat is just like, I don't care what it is. I don't care what you want to call it scientifically. I don't want to get, just fix my freaking neck. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So it's kind of mind blowing because we do everything through our five senses. When you talk about that lens. So if our lens is just the five senses, and that's the lens we keep seeing through, then we're going to not, we're only going to be able to do what we do and repeat it through the five senses. We right. have to get beyond the five senses to transform. And it's only mind blowing because we are, well, like in that book, that radical homeless book about that, you know, they say that those kids grow up not only being told about, but see people referring to and using all of those senses. And so yes. it's not not mind blowing to them because it's normal to us. It's mind blowing because exactly. you know because because we're indoctrinated to cut off from all. Think about right. you know we talk about the United States, right? It was just Independence Day. By the way, she's really out at T eight, so I'm working on that right now for her to release that. Um, so Independence Day and the United States and freedom. Well, seriously, we really tell the truth. We don't cut off our actual history. 
the United States got formed because lots of people got killed, murdered, raped, lands got stolen. That's how it got where it is. And then we say, oh, what's, what is it in the constitution? Like every man is free and has its own right. Really? Does, does a brown skin man have his own rights? Does it really? Does, it, it was all about white people. And I'm a white person. I'm a white Jewish person. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing us under the bus, but I'm saying when you start with this telepathic stuff and you really start understanding the truth, not the conditioned truth, not the ego truth, but the truth of what actually happened and has taken place and what we have taken part in and the collective that that is, man, I don't know if a lot of people want to truly understand the truth. I mean, there are some. I know I've said I want to know the truth, and that was my thing about knowing the animal's truth, right? But it's come with some pretty heavy prices of having to see, like, what have I done in past lives? When I saw, there, there, Cisco had a brand on him, my horse Cisco. I never checked it out what the brand was. But one night I had this dream. And in the dream, I was the head of the Spanish riding school. And it was a big cement arena and stuff. And Cisco was my horse. And I beat the living daylights out of that horse. And I spontaneously just started crying. I was just, I didn't even know what to say. Because I was like, why does this thing keep calling to me? Not just about the brand, but it was about the memory. And in this lifetime, he came back to me. He came to me. And I would have done anything to take care of that horse in the best manner possible. And I had to face what I did. I had to face what my old thinking and my old beliefs were. And that horse chose to come back in this lifetime to be with me so that I can learn what I could learn directly from the horses, not my perspective. My perspective, honestly, I mean, I can share things that I've learned, but my perspective personally doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is the truth of these horses. And so while I thought in the beginning, okay, telepathy is cool, you know, you can find out like, uh, what's your favorite toy? Or, you know, what's your favorite spot in the house kind of thing? Learning what I've learned from these animals now about their science, literally, like the energetics of like how they work, how they understand this 360 degree experience, how they understand themselves and their connection in nature, how they understand us and how they're here to help teach us about our own personal power and how to reclaim that from from a world of abuse, not just in this lifetime. I mean, there's been many traumatic things that have happened on this planet that we've probably experience and have amnesia too. So we're cleaning up a lot of poop in this lifetime. Right. You know? And I thought about that a lot when I was cleaning up my horse's poop. <laughs> it was just like I would do these muck meditations, you know? It was like, wow, not only am I cleaning up their crap, I'm having to clean up my own and look at myself. I think you that's know? a pretty common thing. Uh cleaning poop is a uh, quite a meditative practice, I think. Right? And then um, when I grew up, no, poop cleaning was not my thing. It took me a while in going through Qigong to become wise about, you know, like my Sifu used to say, the master 
is probably going to be the one out front sweeping the steps. Not the one who's in the most glorious robes and has, you know, the greatest charisma. And and I was like, I never really understood that from a white mind, right? Because in our world, even from Australia, I mean, it's it's the person who has the most money. It's the person who has the greatest, you know, property, mm. right? And then again, there's a knowledge, there's amount of knowledge and wisdom there, but it's like, what wisdom are we truly choosing to have? The materialistic wisdom of how to gain all of these things, or that bigger wisdom. Who are we and why are we here? And why are we in connection with horse? And I mean, my understanding is horse doesn't really need us to do stuff with them. They don't really need us to train them. Right. Right? Like that's, that's, we do that because we enjoy it and we have an agenda. And at least if we could just be aware, we have an agenda. Not good, bad, right or wrong. Just, we have it. We just own it. Right. And that's what, I mean, I talk about that in my book. It's like that horse was, my horse Cisco was relentless. He was going to break down my ego because I couldn't have an ego and then be able to talk about this stuff. Can we, uh, can we talk about your book? So the book is called Sittings with Cisco. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did, how, well, tell us about Cisco. Where'd you get him from? What's his story? Hmm. That's another one of those interesting things. So I was at a friend's house one day and her son was about six or seven and his bowel muscles hadn't closed. So he still had to wear a diaper. It was a brilliant kid. He was a fabulous, fabulous, loving, amazing, amazing kid. And having been a fitness trainer, I said to her, you know, Mary, for some reason, I feel like he's got to be on a horse because it's going to be the thing that's going to have to activate those bowel muscles that are, if he's sitting on a horse, the musculature up through his bowels, up through his belly is going to have to start to trigger a memory. Maybe we could turn them back on for him. So I left her house that day and I just said, universe, I need a horse. I thought I was going to get a horse for like two hours a week that David could just, you know, we could put him on him. He could sit on there. I walk him around. That's what I thought. Well, about two weeks later, my neighbor is having a yard sale in her front yard and there's a, she, her sister makes like rope halters and stuff. And there was a beautiful one. It was like fuchsia pink and gold. And I was like, I don't know. I'd have to have that halter. And I'm walking out of the yard and she goes, Alicia, do you have a horse? I said, no, but I think I'm getting one. <laughs> that was it. And I had met Cisco the year before because my roommate, Michelle, it was her horse. And she had me come and do some body work on him and connect with him. And I just knew there was something about him. And I even felt inside. I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if that horse is supposed to be mine. Well, I buy the halter. And two weeks later, I'm driving down the road. And my friend, Michelle, was a uh, she's a gardener. She's a master gardener. So she's putting an installation in for a um, restaurant. And I stopped by to see her. And she didn't even say, I was like, ha. And she's like, I want to give you Cisco. And if I give him to you, you have to pay for him and you can't ever take him. I can't take him back. And I was like, wait, what? So that's kind of how I got Cisco. I started out, I didn't even have enough money to pay $125 a month to board him. He was on 
full pasture and he had hay in the winter. And when she told me this, I was like, that's not the way that I was thinking about getting a horse. (laughs) I just thought it was going to borrow somebody's horse. But Cisco showed up. And um, I said yes. And then that started our 21-year journey for us of learning things I never in a million years would have thought I would ever learn from an animal directly. So tell us about the book. When did you write it and what is it about? So... Even though I was a communicator at the time, I don't know why, but in the very beginning, it was a little challenging for me to really grasp that Cisco and I were actually having these conversations, like you and I are having these conversations. And it was probably about six months in that I finally started realizing, like, oh my God, why do I think I can't talk to him the way I would talk to any other animal that a client calls me for? So we started having these conversations, and one day, Cisco said, you need to show up tomorrow with a notebook and a pen and you need to take dictation. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, that's when I sort of started looking around, like, am I on candy camera? Like, is this a flipping joke? Because seriously, like what horse is going to tell their human, you need to sit and write down this stuff? Because I didn't know what he was going to tell me. But I showed up the next day with a pen and a piece of paper. And I started listening to him. And what started happening was, was in all of our interactions, he would let me be me, do me, do my thing. And then he would share with me insights about stuff from his perspective and from a horse's perspective. What was healthy human behavior and what was not? And I had a lot of, I mean, I didn't, you know, like we said before about trauma, right? Sometimes you just, you don't know, you don't know. I thought I was normal and cool and not screwed up. (laughs) And then Cisco kind of started showing me little by little. I had a lot of things. I had a lot of inner stuff to work out and work through to get back to understanding the essence of who I am as a human being. And so that's kind of what started our journey. So, I mean, I got him. I think she gave him to me in 2003. And then 2004, I started writing and I'd write down everything. I write down everything he told me verbatim. I mean, this is a true story. It's not a story. It's a true accounting of our experience together. And I mean, he would tell me things sometimes. And I, I mean, I would just sit there with my jaw on the floor because I couldn't believe I was hearing this from a horse. I couldn't believe what this horse understood about me. I couldn't believe what this horse understood about human nature. And I was, you know, seriously, sometimes I questioned my sanity. I was like, I could be making this whole thing up. But then when I would write it down and I would apply what Cisco told me and his behaviors would shift. And I would shift. I was like, he's not making this up. I'm not making this up. And so I had the experience, fortunately, of being able to work with this horse at every stage. Because I'm not a horse trainer. I've, I've ridden horses, but I, I don't, I wouldn't know how to start a horse. And that's how the book really came into 
beingness, was being willing to, even no matter how stubborn I was about being right or that like I want to ride, if that horse didn't want to be found on 65 acres, he wasn't found till I settled myself and then he would appear. So it was a lot of trial and error, but it was just a lot of listening is how the book got written. And so I completed it in 2007. In the middle of that right there, you said something that um, not concerns me, interests me. You said at, at one point in time there, you said, I wonder if I'm going crazy. Mm-hmm. And I had dinner recently in Australia with a friend of mine who she communicates with um, people who have passed, mm-hmm. and to her, to her, a lot of times, she said, "I'm having a hard time differentiating between the people who are physically in this realm and the people who mm-hmm. are just spiritual in this realm." And I, and she said, "I." I'm afraid of losing my mind. I'm afraid <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Um, because, like she said, they look as real as everybody else to me. And actually, yep. while we we're having a conversation, she turned and talked to somebody right behind yep. her who wasn't there. Were, I couldn't see anybody there. And that, I think that's one of my concerns as, and I'm not talking about me getting mm-hmm. into the telepathy thing, but as I as I start to, you know, heal traumas and, and work on myself, it's, it's I don't know, it, it seems like it's something in my mind too that I'm like, what if I go crazy? So how do you, how did you, how did you reconcile with, with the thought of, I forget if you said, what if I go crazy or I think I'm going crazy or whatever, but mm-hmm. how did you, how did you reconcile that? Well, years before I had gone crazy, the experiences that you're talking about that your, your friend had, I had those. Um, I had experiences where when I first started communicating with the horses, I would literally feel like how shamans can like go inside the body and mm-hmm. like be there and look, I would literally feel like my face was a horse's face. And I didn't know, I was like, oh my God, what is happening here? Like, so I actually had to go through it and I had to go crazy and I went crazy. And then I had to face that fear of what crazy was. Because remember, we get indoctrinated into a box thinking of what's real here, right? And that box only allows us to pretty much access our five senses. But if the creator's truth is that we have 12 and somebody's cutting us off from those other seven, well, we get the box becomes our mind, our our physical mind, right? Of what we can accept, what's real, what's not real, all that stuff. The difference between a regular person and a shaman is they've gone out of their mind. So we have our human conditioned brain, right? Which is an easily programmable mechanism. 
And that's what happens in our indoctrination. If you tell somebody something over a long enough amount of time or you make them practice it, that's what they believe is the truth, especially when they have no access to anything else, right? So it starts to happen when we're kids. But think about how the indigenous peoples raised their kids. They raised them with their 12 senses. They didn't put their mind in a box. They didn't try to control their awareness. They let them understand what and how everything is deeply connected in that quantum energy field, right? So for me, I had to go crazy. I saw people when I was in Times Square and, and when I was in uh, Penn Station, just like in um, The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. I saw people walking past me, this lady's face, her entire teeth, there was nothing there. There was no skin. There was just, and I was like, holy, mm. right? While I'm sitting in Penn Station with all these other people walking around. So the thing is, it's the walking between worlds, right? Because we're conditioned to the five senses to only understand and walk in this world when we've got these seven other senses and we've got this much other bigger soup that we live in that we've been indoctrinated to disconnect with and to disconnect from. So then we think we're crazy because it doesn't fit the box of the conditioned mind or the brain. But that's when we start actually opening up to our spirituality to recognize, oh my God, there's all this other stuff that we're connected with that we didn't even know about. And so Right? What do we label it? Well, I'm crazy or I could be going crazy. No, you're actually going straight. Mm, you know, the friend I had dinner with the other night, she said the same thing because she said these people I see are in the same condition they died in. Mm-hmm. So exactly. you see people with missing yeah. body parts. and um, well, and I have to say something about that because I've uh, had a lot of experience with animals crossing over, okay? And so I do think that there might possibly be like a purgatory, right, where people get stuck. Mm. And that's so so was she seeing what I'm seeing in terms of how they died? They might still be stuck in the energy space of when they died. They may not have fully crossed over. But when I see the animals and when I see them fully cross over, they're in their light body. So they are like healthy. They are free. They're just like, oh, my God, you got to tell my parents I'm doing so good. Like, And, I, you know, obviously you don't want to upset the people because, of course, the animals still love their people. But the, the, the density that binds us on these levels releases and we realize like all the things that we were suffering about or all the things that we were traumatized about they fall away and then we become pure consciousness again the can i ask you about the going crazy bit again sorry it really interests me um how how did you come to terms of that and probably another part of the question is do you did you think were you worried about you going crazy or would you were you worried about what other people will think of you going, quote-unquote, crazy? So 
my spiritual mom was a hippie. And when you hang out with a hippie, and when you get stoned with a hippie, you see the world very differently, mm. especially a hippie that does Qigong. Mm. And you wake up to, did you ever see the movie, What Dreams May Come? With no. Robin Williams? No, um, I'm going to write that You get a right chance now. to watch it. Okay, this is going to directly answer your question about the crazy or not. So I was always worried about what people thought about me. Mm -hmm. And what this journey really did for me, I got to a point. Now, also to take the background of my grandmother on my mother's side was crazy, literally crazy. As we define crazy, right? She was literally mentally defined as crazy. So I must have heard as a kid, my father talking to my mother and saying things about being crazy. Don't be crazy like your mother, which, you know, not for nothing, but literally her mother was literally crazy. So one of the things, and I, I it's so weird because it's tracking back now, my father used to say things about being crazy. And I was really sensitive to it because I guess on some subconscious level, I knew my grandmother really was crazy and I didn't want to be like that. So for a long time, I really cared. And that's why I stayed in the box because I was so afraid if people think I'm crazy, how am I going to live? How am I going to survive? How am I going to, you know? And when I started with Qigong and I started getting back to nature and just inherently in my cells, starting to have experiences in my life that were outside of that box, what we would call paranormal, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But then I started realizing this isn't paranormal. This is actually what's happening all the time. And then from Qigong, I started studying with some Native American teachers. And I started having some experiences, which literally would be labeled crazy. But they were like, this is natural like this is the natural world so i was breaking out of that box and i think that the label that we put on crazy is so that we stay controlled in the box you know and somehow so one thing that's not in the book with cisco because it happened years later um cisco had had a really bad injury and he had a thing called Sweeney's shoulder. So I wasn't even sure if he was going to need to be put down or not. The thought of even being able to rehab him ever that I'd ever ride him again was like off the table. But I started studying things and understanding ways and calling in practitioners to help him get better. And one day I was sitting on a fence rail and he was just right there. It was just like that perfect, like, oh, can I please just sit on your back? Like this, I could just slide on your back. This would be so easy. And he said, don't do it. I did it. And the result of me not listening to him was 13 broken bones. Now, it wasn't a bad accident. He just started trotting downhill and I slid off and I was knocked unconscious. And when I went to get up, I didn't know I had 13 broken bones. I don't know how I got up. I don't know how I got to the house because I had no stomach muscles to get me up. But somehow that injury, It cracked me open so wide because I didn't listen to my telepathy because I thought, well, I could be crazy. Maybe I made it up, right? It was such a clear indicator from the universe. You are not crazy. And if you don't listen, you're going to get really hurt. If you don't listen to your instincts, if you do not listen to what your horse tells you, and if you do not pay attention to when spirit speaks to you, 
you're going to be in a lot of pain. Not as this is a punishment. It wasn't that. It was such a clear indicator. And with that many broken bones, there was nothing that I could do except lay there and listen to spirit. And listen to and trust myself that I was not crazy. And that's actually, I think, what landed up, at least from the previous experiences, because my soul self was not strong enough to fully have the conviction to truly trust and know that what I was hearing was really what I was hearing and that we can hear spirit. We've just been taught we can't. That it took that injury. And then it also took, you know, the healing of that injury. I mean, I heal. I was sitting up in my office in two and a half weeks. I was in the hospital and the nurses are like, oh my God, we've got to give you morphine. I was like, do not give me morphine. I was like, I know how to breathe. I know how to do my chi. I started healing myself. That night I had to pee. And they said, oh, we'll get you a bedpan. I said, you're not going to give me a bedpan. You're going to help me get up and go. They were like, you broke 13 bones. You broke your nine ribs. They're broken. Your collarbone's broken. You got transverse processes that are broken. And I said, that's okay. I I feel my, I trust my body. And I figured out a way. My body showed me how to set the bed, how to ease myself off of it, how to go to the bathroom. I mean, I couldn't go from lying flat to getting up because I didn't have stomach muscles to, because my ribs were broken. But that really started it because before that I really, I was like, I might be nuts. I really might be crazy. And then the universe, I guess because I didn't listen was like, Nope, here's your wake up call. Mm. You're not crazy. And I mean, I had my dad, I was doing animal communication back 30 years ago. Okay. Now look at where we are now with people opening up to it and being aware of telepathy and all this stuff, right? 30 years ago, my father looked at me and he said, even if you can do it, you really shouldn't tell people that you can do it because they're going to look at you and they're going to think you're nuts. You, um, you mentioned Rupert Sheldrake before. Mm -hmm. Have you, do you know who Dean Radin is? So (laughs) funny that you mentioned Dean's name. So funny how things happen. I get an email from the Institute of Nomadic Sciences, which Dean is the president of. And the horses step in and they go, you need to write him right now. You need to write. I got a newsletter. They were like, you need to respond right now. And you need to tell him about your study with quantum entanglements and chi with the horses. I write and I'm thinking, I'm never probably going to hear from this guy. I mean, he's probably going to be like, whatever. 15 minutes later, I get an email from Dean Radden. And he says, this is very interesting. I have a senior scientist who I want to introduce you to who wants to do a study with uh, Qigong and horses. So he connects me with Dr. Garrett Yunt of Institute of Noetic Sciences. So we are literally now, we have a study that Dean designed on telepathy and equines. And we raised half the funding for it. It's $30,000 for us to do the, the whole scientific testing so we raised 15 we're raising we're in the process of raising the next 15 to do a study through the institute of noetic sciences designed by dean on telepathy with equines really yep i 
can't make this stuff up, Warwick. Uh, and reason, it wasn't on my bucket list. The reason I asked you about him is because in his book, um, Real Magic, he talks about talking to a group because I guess he, like a lot of guys, started out like a straight scientist. If you can't mm-hmm. see it, you can't prove it sort of thing. Right. Five um, senses. Yeah. And in that book, he was saying he was addressing a group of other scientists who don't believe anything he's really talking about. And he said to them, if I can prove this Beyond a shadow of a doubt, double blind studies, the whole bit. If I can prove this without a shadow of a doubt, will you believe me then? And they said no. It's they like won't. it's too it's it's too far I out can, of our I comfort can work zone. Work on a horse in front of their face, they will see the change. I've done this with dog trainers too. Dogs' entire demeanor has completely changed. Right, their movement has changed. Then they they go back to the five cents. Well, but 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 I can't. It's like it's like short circuiting them mm. because they can't get past unless it's it's like well wait first you're seeing it <laughs> you're you're you might not be hearing it but you're aware you right we've lost our ability to be the science because of the the five senses box we are the science we are able to see these things and go holy moly wow that did shift but we're in the five senses. And you're not doing something like Qigong or you're not even pulling off any of the veils. You're just going by like the 2D hard science data. Well, we both know animals don't understand or read science papers. They read energy. Right. Like, and we're here trying to apply human-based science. And we're not even fully understanding the animal science except for the fact of body language. And I'm like, oh my God, they have so... This is why, honestly, as I've been proceeding with this and this study, and as Garrett and I keep talking, it's like, oh, my God, I think this study might change the world. Now, the world's not going to change all at once. But when we have the actual proof from the science that the telepathy is real with animals, maybe a lot of things that I say that are direct science from the animals, their natural science, hopefully it will be more well understood. And when I think about working with horses, I'm like, how could you tell me you know horses if you're not even tele- knowing that their first form of communication is telepathy? Mm. So I am looking at this of like, we're doing a lot of stuff with the animals, but we're missing like the first two steps. The first step is understanding the telepathic communication and that that is 100% real. And we think we know so much when we don't even know that. Well, see, and then I the think, second part is the bodies and how they affect the behavior. Like you have to know what's going on in that body because you wouldn't have a behavior if you don't have a body. The only way you have a behavior is because you have a body and it's not just the chemistry. So it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I think all journeys, you, you, um, you think you have the first step. And then you're basing right. everything on that being your first step. But then at some point in time, you realize, oh, hang on, there's a step before the first step. And then you right. base everything on that first step. But then after a while, you're like, hang on, now there's a step before the first step that's before yes. the first. And then, and, and like, who knows how far it goes back. But I think oh. that is, that is the, that is the, the work right there is, is, right? is figuring out the first step before your current first step, being, you know, letting, I'm, being open to that. It is so cool. The way this conversation is going. So 
I was invited by, you know, Carolyn Resnick. Yeah. You recently met her. Okay. Yeah. So I was invited by Carolyn. I, I got connected with um, the filmmakers for Rescued Hearts. Um, the filming, they're doing, okay, there you go. So I got in touch with Dana and Chris Anna back in last October, and we did some filming. I was working on horses um, at the rescue that Dana worked at and volunteered mm. at for a long time. And then we started talking, and all of a sudden, somehow I get, same, I got Carolyn's newsletter. <laughs> and the horses go, you need to email her right now. And I'm like, email her right now. Like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? They're like, you need to send her your PhD. Send her my PhD. She contacts me back. She goes, I'm very interested in this. We need to talk. <laughs> I can we see you saying that. Series, we started with a series of like these fabulous Zoom conversations, right? That were just so mind blowing because I knew about Carolyn from working at Return to Freedom as a volunteer. And then Netta introduced me to the book and I read Return to Freedom. And that was my whole, like, I'm going to work with Mustangs, you know, thing. And so Carolyn and I are having these amazing conversations. And she said, you know, I want to invite you out to do a clinic. I mean, not for nothing, but the first horse clinic you get to ask to do. And it's Carolyn Resnick. Right. Are you flipping kidding me? Right. So, of course, I said yes. And then it was crazy because Dana had asked me something about Carolyn Resnick. And I said, I just talked to her today. She goes, can you get me connected? So I got them connected for the filming. Oh, so that's so how I Carolyn met them. Yes. Yep. Well, because... how, I met, how I met them was because Carolyn said, hey, you probably should include this guy yes. in your film. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it, it all kind of started in my living room. It did. Well, that's, that's <laughs> Which crazy. I'm grateful for because they're fantastic and what they're doing is amazing. And so... We worked it out. Dana and Chrisanna were going to be in California. They were going to film Carolyn. And then they also filmed, they were going to film my clinic. And I said, Carolyn, are you okay if we do this like in the next month? So we were talking back and forth and we came up with this phenomenal name of the clinic. And it's called Before the Before. <laughs> Meeting in the middle of the arena with the essence of horse. And so what that is, is me working on a horse at a distance with everybody kind of sitting around watching with their own eyes. We talk about quantum entanglements, right? So the horse is getting realigned. People are watching this. They're watching what's happening and I'm not touching the horse. I'm 20 feet away doing my instinct thing. The people, I looked over at one point, not one person did not have tears streaming down their face. Because we weren't coming from a place of, well, you know, if you do this with the horse and you move the haunches and you move, it had nothing to do with anything that we know in our intellect about horses. It had everything to do with essence. And what was, what was happening was, was as the horse was getting worked on, these people were quantum entangling with the horse. So they were getting worked on and wherever their emotional stuff was stuck. It was coming up for them, seeing things through the lens of that purity, that before the before, before you ever knew anything about a horse, before anything, anybody told you anything, before anybody instructed you on anything, before, just when it was that pure horse. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, so it was fascinating because I realized I kept feeling, I was like, well, I should know more 
about the training aspects. And it was like, no, actually I shouldn't because where we are with horses now, with all the information we have and all the knowledge, we're still missing the basic wisdom, that first step before the before. And that's my place of where I come in, not with equine therapy or any, you know, it's all wonderful and it's got its due place, but this is have an actual experience again of your essence and the horse's essence. And then decide how you want to approach things from what you know, what your truth is. Obviously, always with safety. I'm not going to tell you going with a psychopathic horse that's going to try to kill you, right? Like there's boundaries and there's clarity, but we're taking this more to like a five, the fifth dimensional awareness where where everything is in communion you know we're we're very intellectually intelligent but that doesn't necessarily make us really smart because if you look around at the planet and what we're doing and how we're treating each other and how we're treating the very source of life that we cannot exist with out I'm not that intelligent. I'm not convinced the human species is the most intelligent species. I think we're going through an evolutionary emotional growth spurt. Well, yeah, is it? But I'm not sure it's even a growth spurt, as in we are not. I, I think where it's just an undoing of indoctrination, because at some point in time, it's not like humans have never ever looked at right. things this way. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's exactly. not like, yes, we're, yeah. do, we're doing something no one's ever done before. It's We just it, have better marketing this time. Yes, like exactly. This, it's all been done. There's nothing that had, like anything we're doing with horses, anything we're doing with ourselves, it's all been done before. Yes. It's we just, just don't remember. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just peeling away the layers of all the bullshit that's been fed to us for quite a long time. Exactly. So it's not, yes, you know, it's not like the human species are not smart or whatever. It's it, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think we are improving the human species. We are changing our current perception of yes of things. I think that's that's why I, that's why I look at. It. Yeah, we're maturing. Beyond the indoctrination. The indoctrination gave us right and wrong, right? It gave us the duality. But what was here before was right relationship. Right. And we're all, you know, nothing is a square. Everything is a circle. All of our cells in our body, everything is a circle. So we're just coming back full circle. We're not, you know, we tend to think of things very straight ahead. Like I laugh because I'm like that 10% in front of the horse's face that they can't see. That's how humans see 10%. Right. That's the bit. But then the see. horse sees 350 degrees and the humans are still seeing 10%. That's why we need the animals to teach us and remind us who we really are because the indoctrination is what cut us off from that. Right? So I see it as an evolution. We're maturing instead of I'm right about this. Right? That's why governments go to war. Right? right I'm yeah. right. You're wrong. Instead of, wait a second, if you guys were really mature, the point is not about who's right and who's wrong. The point is, are we in right relationship? So what we're doing is for the highest good of all life. Who did right? I have on the podcast recently that used the term right relationship? 
Where did where where do you was know that the, term from? I know that from Native American terminology. But mm. was it the lady who was in? So she's got a sanctuary. It wasn't Emily, but it was another lady in Europe, and she's got like fifty or sixty horses. No, that's Emily. And different. That's, that's Emily. That's, that's Emily. So it might have been. It might yeah. Been, it might have been Emily. But I've I've heard the term right relationship recently, where I hadn't actually yeah. ever heard that term. Oh yeah. Before I'm currently reading Emily's book, All the King's Horses, and it, oh, nice. it is it is like read a page, and I just think I'm going to stare at the wall for a little while. And some of the some of the very early things I've just been in Australia recently. I just got back not long ago, but um, I was reading it when I first got there. I first started reading it when I got there. I took it with me to read, mm-hmm. and some of the very early on stuff was like. It was a before the before. It was like, yeah. oh, that that paragraph yeah. right there just gave me a completely different totally outlook. And 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 it, it obviously would give me a completely different outlook of the way I looked at things like seven years ago, but gave me a deeper understanding of things I looked at a week ago. <laughs> you know, right. I had yeah. I had this I had this interesting. Um, happenings i went to so i was gone for about three weeks i went to a horse expo here in california and jp i freak out jp dial all the time because you i was like just texting was like warwick just said he invited me to the podcast and jp's laughing he's like he's right here we were just talking about you he goes how do you do this stuff (laughs) and i'm like I don't try. Like that's the telepathy, right. the empathy. Like you know, you're just listening to what the energy is telling you to do. That your mind would usually create. Like no, 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 don't do that. Don't you, right? Like yeah. The reason why I say you asked the question. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but you asked the question before about like the going out of your mind or you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. It was one of the best things I've ever done is go out of my freaking mind. <laughs> Serious. We're afraid of it, but I'm like, oh my God, the fear is just coming from the indoctrinators. Mm. They don't want this, right? So it's like when we see movies like The Matrix or um, uh, Divergent, you know, like the whole thing is, no, keep them locked into The Matrix because otherwise they'll, it's like what? Otherwise we'll be free to have free choice and free will and to understand our interconnectedness and communion with all life. Is that what you're afraid of? So I'm glad I'm out of my mind. I think the matrix is a documentary. Um, it is. So what, yeah, what happened to that horse expo in California was there was so many, not just the horse expo, but when I went to Australia too, there's so many serendipities, like the, like the, the most amazing serendipitous things happening, but something happened mm-hmm. at the horse expo is, something changed within me, whereas I would be talking to a crowd of people about something. And as it was coming out of my mouth, it came out in a way it's never come out before. And I, at the time, as it was in real time, as it was coming out of my mouth, I had the realization that I had a deeper understanding of it than I had in the past. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the chief field. That's, that's dropping into the Tao. Hmm. It was really Tao is always there, right? And then we separate from it. When we finally start feeling safe enough to drop back into it, 
That's when we feel the gentle breeze on our skin. That's when we feel like, oh my God, I I feel the 360 degree nature that these animals exist in, that all of life exists in. Okay. And often it can be scary to be there because it's vulnerable. Mm. It's so honest and you got no filters. You're going to say what the universe is speaking through you or what the horses are speaking through you. And especially when you have those deeper levels of awarenesses where you're out of the control of the mind to only say certain things at certain levels. Like I will say things to people and they're like, how can you say this? How do you know this? Because I know. Because I've experienced the truth. I've experienced nature's truth. I've experienced the horse's truth. And I've cleaned up enough of my own stuff that I don't care if someone else thinks I'm weird or crazy. Because in this moment, this is what the universe is having me speak to meet the consciousness of everybody else that's here. That's how we really transcend so much of our human limitations. You know, it's having that fear to be fully all of us. And beyond those five senses and beyond that box. Because you know that we can see certain things that can educate people to their mind. People get it. They want, you know, I want the steps. I want the steps. But then when you start speaking truth on a level that you're actually educating or re-educating people's souls. Remember everything. Everything that we speak, it's a vibration. It's an energy. You're hitting the energy space where the fear is going away and you're speaking from your true essence. Because you know on a cellular level, whether people consciously in their mental brain get it or not, you're seeding the expanding consciousness that's here now. And that's everything we were taught not to do as kids. As kids, we know it all. And then we get indoctrinated to not know it all. And then we think we're crazy if we start remembering. Right? I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's also, too, one of the most vulnerable places for us as humans to speak from such a level that it's our heart, it's our soul, it's our essence. That's not being controlled by well, what do these people want to hear? Well, what should I be saying? Well, right? It's it's so pure. And isn't it crazy, like the whole witnesser thing? Like as you were saying it, as it was coming out of your mouth, there was a part of you that was also realizing, oh my God, I, you know, I'm speaking a level of truth that I've never spoken before, right? It's like, it, whoa. It, it was almost like I was standing beside myself watching myself I, I didn't have an out-of-body experience or anything like that but it was almost yeah. like i it's like i was standing there watching myself say that going hey that's some pretty cool shit you know <laughs> what i mean it was, I, see, I see the people what did i just say i mean i know it sounded really good but i'm like we have to record this because when you are in that stream of consciousness with source okay it's coming through you. You're the vessel. You're no mm. longer the individual ego characteristic. You've allowed your vessel to open for source to speak through you. I Every once in a while, I will be pontificating here at home about something, and I will 
say something to my wife. I'm like, hang on, hang on. I've got to write that down. That, wow. <laughs> that's and, pure flow of consciousness. That's and, you being so connected. That's you being the fish in the water. And one, uh, let me share one with you that I wrote a little while ago. And so one of the things when I'm helping people with their horses, especially riding their horses, is sometimes just giving up control solves the problem because the sometimes the, yes sometimes. sometimes sometimes well that's a part of all the problems but sometimes just giving up control no other action required solves the problem and so I was thinking about it one day and I um, so I wrote this thing and it says having faith with horses giving up control tells them that you have faith in them. And I think that's when they start to have faith in you. But in order to be safe, and I'm I'm mostly talking about riding horses here, but in order to be safe, giving up control, first you've got to have your preparation right. So You've got to have faith in your preparation. So inevitably it comes down to you having faith in you. Thousand percent. And you know where that faith starts? I'm sure you're about to tell me. Your breath. When you're not breathing, that's when you go into control. And the brain stops almost and it, it freaks out. If you breathe, we learn to breathe through everything. And that was a very interesting thing that Cisco taught me during our time together. He said to me one day, do you have any idea how afraid people are that ride? And I was like, what? Because, I mean, I look at, you know, I can ride, but I'm not like a great rider. You know, I can get in a Western saddle. I can get on bareback. But he goes, you look at all these people that you put above you on a pedestal because they can ride and they have technique and they have all this. He said, do you understand how many people that are around horses and ride have fear? I said, no, I didn't see it that way. He goes, about 98%. I was like, what? Now, what does fear do? Shuts you down, stops your breathing, it pulls you back up into your head. When you are working with an animal that's coming purely from instinct and an animal that trusts themselves based on breathing and flow and connection to their 360-degree environment, it's probably one of the most insane things we could do in the entire world is to get on a horse if we don't even realize we have fear. Because I say it all the time, you guys are so kind to us. We There are so many people that could be dead from horse accidents. Oh yeah, And they are so lucky that these horses have such an incredible conscious awareness. And that's one thing we didn't talk about, but the, through the telepathy and starting to understand the conscious awareness of what who these beings really are at their essence, right? Before the before. Because that's almost the place you got to start. And I don't care if you're the best writer in the world. I don't care if you're the best trainer in the world. But it's that going back to the before the before. We're teaching things and we're like missing the first two most essential steps. One, that they're telepathic, that that is actually the number one form of communication but because we don't have the diagnostics to read it, 
we can only read body language. That's why you need people that understand telepathic communication. But if we were all on this same page, not because like, oh, that's a good idea or, oh, she seems to know something, but like it's the actual factual science of how they work together. How do I know it? Because I've talked to them and they've told me exactly how this thing works. And we're still working with the outside of a horse, not even understanding one, that they're telepathic, two, that they read our energy. So we can't lie. I mean, you can act calm, but trust me, if you're not calm inside, they're going to explode. And then the body piece, because even I've got chiropractors, body workers work on horses. One, they haven't fixed the problem because they haven't gotten to the root of it. And two, they're doing something at the horse. They're not listening to, hey, you tell me what's up. You, you tell me what you need release. Not what I think, not what I learned in school, not what I got educated about. You talk to me. So the fact that we're not even having these conversations with beings, whether it's horses, dogs, cats, anyway, that are completely telepathic, the fact that we don't even understand that we are so telepathic, that we have been indoctrinated out of that. Because think about what has to happen for telepathy. You can't be white man speak with forked tongue. Mm, right. With telepathy and somebody really reading all of your energy field, the picture that you have and hold, the words that you speak and your intentions have to be pure and in alignment. That's how I know if I'm doing it effectively or not, because I keep hearing more and more because I have no desire to be out of alignment. I have no desire to tell you one thing and then go do another. And that was another thing that Cisco taught me that was brilliant. He goes, don't listen to anything that anybody says. He said, you can listen to it if you want. He goes, watch how they behave. And if their behavior is not congruent with what they speak, don't trust them. You can trust them to be not congruent. He said, but don't trust that when you're picking up that somebody is not congruent, you don't go ahead and override what your instincts, you know, that this is not a congruent person, you know? And I always with the dogs because I'm a master dog trainer. And so when I would see somebody, you know, these lovely Aspen people walking down the street with a big smile on their face. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? And the dog was like, batch it. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, I'm going to trust the dog. Right. I'll hang out with the dog because I could get the dog back in alignment, you know, with healthy right. behaviors and stuff like that. But it's the human that is showing one face and then, you know, there's something completely different. And so the level of communication that they have, it's not just about, I mean, how many people do we both know that have said so many times, I wish I could hear what you have to say right? I mean, is that not every human's dream for their animal? Like, I really wish you could talk with me. I mean, and it is for me, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I would want to know. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I say, yeah. but here's the deal, we can, and this is totally teachable, because all I do whenever I'm teaching it is I'm just turning back on somebody's software that didn't get activated. Right. Right. And and if they have blocks to it, all I'm doing is just helping them release their blocks to their own essence. So this is not something that it's like, 
well, I have this skill. I mean, I've taken it considerably far and I'm grateful because I'm passionate about it. But this is that place where it's like, well, if we're talking about the horse, if we're training about the horse, my awareness that the fairest thing is then we have to talk with the horse. We want to know like, hey, do you want to be a hunter jumper? Hey, do you want to do this? Like (laughs) one of the challenging parts about it, which I will say is that there's a lot of economics on our side based around what we do. And for me, I didn't want to go that route, right? So I was like, I don't need to ride. I don't have to ride. I don't have to be involved with the economics of any of it. I really want to know their truth. And I think some of it is really difficult too, because if we really get to that level of understanding their deepest consciousness and awareness, how they feel about things, that they are totally conscious, sentient beings. I mean, I know horses that know when their people are 20 miles away from them you know, and what they're going through and what they're experiencing. If we really knew how foals and mamas felt pulling them apart, if we really knew how the cows felt, if we really knew, do you know what I'm saying? Like, hopefully we could find a more humane way to do what we do. But it would call in a lot. It would call, like you said, the before the before. It's like, oh, right, right. Like you'd hear these things and then like you're going to be sitting staring at a wall for a while because it's like, oh, my God, this is the way my brain was programmed. This is the way I thought. But like, oh, my God, what if that isn't the total truth? Mm-hmm. You know, what if it's our human truth? And that's that's where I say, you know, in terms of a maturity, right? Like. It sounds weird because telepathic communication should just be this fun, wonderful, amazing thing where we can diagnose horses and we can tell, you know, they can tell us, but I'm like, man, I really think that there's a huge part that they're here to play in our soul's evolution and our, our growing up as a species. Oh, I, t- I'm totally all over that. And I think the cool right? thing about them is they will, they will put up with you at, at whatever level of consciousness you are operating at until you get to the next level and then they will join you on that level. And yeah, I don't think there's any limit to where they can, where we can go with them. But I do think it's, they, you know, they will put up being a beast of burden or whatever you want them to be for a while. So And then it's a horse is the problem. It's like the horse, it's like the God thing, right? Like when you go above the cut, it's like, wait a minute. Their consciousness is already there. They're already the enlightened masters. There's nothing we're going to teach them about consciousness. But but are we really learning what they're here to teach us? Oh, I think I think eventually we we are, but I think they're. (laughs) We don't destroy ourselves first. (laughs) Yeah, but I think you know they they. I've had so many people that you know, like me helping them with their horses and they kind of, and having them look at horses differently, then they kind of go, oh, you know what, I'm getting along so much better with my husband and my kids or my right? boss or whatever. And it's like, you've been married to that guy for 30 years and you haven't done the work to make right? that better, but you will do the work for the to get along exactly. better with your horse and everybody else gets the benefit. So I think that's one of the cool things about them is they are such amazing awesome. creatures that we get passionate about 
getting along better with them and they just tease us along on the journey of exactly. consciousness sort of thing. Well, the so, thing yeah. is, though, that, like they're really, you know, it's not all the time, but honestly, most of the time, they're a mirror of where we're at. And so when I was, like, training the dogs, you know, the dogs kept saying to me, you realize I'm fine, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, I do. They're like, well, now... Because of the things that you understand and the things that you've gone through within your own self and the things that you've learned to heal in yourself and see in different ways, now you have to talk to my people because that's really where the base of the problem is. And I swear the first time I heard that, I almost vomited. I was like, I cannot tell the people like I can't. And then it just became easier. And it's like now, honestly, when I work with anybody, like 10% of the horse and 90% of the people. I, I find it's something similar. Like to this afternoon, I've got to get off here in a minute because we're yeah. actually having a retreat here this weekend. So it's cool. Friday. Awesome. And we started having these two and a bit day retreats. So people show up on Friday at three o'clock. And then and the, the retreats are about the human part of the human horse relationship yeah. And it's, you know, we're not being therapists or anything, but we are oh. kind of making them aware of, you know, we're practically trying to undoctrinate them in horse world and have them think yes. about things a little bit differently. And they do, you know, at some point in time during the weekend, we get some of our horses out and do some things with them, but it's mostly not about horses it's more about self-awareness it's more about being aware of you know judgmental thoughts that we have about horses and ourselves and just it's just about unraveling um some things in order for the to get for them to get along better with their horses this is not you know we're not like i said we're not therapists or anything but it's all about helping them get along better with their horses doing the stuff that i do but it's it's making them aware of the some of the th- the blockages maybe they have that prevent them from getting along with their horses. So, and I think that's but that's the first step, right? Awareness. Like, how do you change anything? Well, first, you kind of have to be aware that there's a problem. Yeah. And for too long, so many people they it's the horse, it's the dog, it's my husband, it's the and it's like, oh, I went there. I was a type A total. Like it's everybody else. It's not me. And then one day that finger that you point at everybody else comes back to you and it's like, well, there's the one common denominator here, mm. right? And again, it's not as judgment. It's right. not that's it's growth, right? It's just yeah. but it's like, oh wow, are we mature enough to be like, oh, it's really time to look at me now and see what's what's really going on, you know? The it's, it's it's mind-blowing what can shift so fast when people become aware of that. And it's not right. easy. I mean, these are all, this is all stuff we wanted to push away, sweep under the rug. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with my feelings. I'm like, well, it's probably safer if you deal with your feelings on the ground than on the back of your horse. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, we're going to have to finish up here. So that thank you okay. so much. That was a very cool conversation. Uh, so I have a list of questions here. None of which we got to, and so as but regular, we, some plug, of them we did. We like, not did. actual questions, but we yeah. leave them in. <laughs> you know, some of my, my regular podcast listeners would know that I I send out a list of twenty something questions 
to my guests and have them choose four to seven of them for me to ask. But mm-hmm. Alicia, she sent me, she sent me uh, eighteen or something. eighteen questions um, <laughs> that I could have asked her, and I think we may have touched on some of those. But I just, yeah, we were just riffing, and it went exactly where I was hoping it would go. So I was, I was very happy with that. Um, how do people find out more about what you do, and how do they contact you? You can go to my website at Alicia, A-L-L-E-C-I-A, Maine, M-A-I-N-E dot com. You can also check out my um, Animal Healer TV episodes on YouTube. Just uh, look up The Animal Healer, H-E-E-L-E-R, instead of H-E-A-L-E-R. It's H-E-E-L-E-R. And uh, those are pretty interesting because those are, they're edited down. From an hour's, you know, uh, private session with clients, but they really show what happens in the quantum energy field. And so I've worked with wild horses, I've worked with wolves, I've worked with dogs, cats, people, animals that have crossed over, behavior issues. And um, it's really pretty amazing to watch like these animals can feel this stuff without knowing me, smelling. I mean, your cat has never smelled me knows nothing about me, can hear my voice. And actually, I don't even know if she could hear my voice because you have your headphones on. Uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't terribly loud, but yeah. who knows what senses cats have. She could, <laughs> you know what she I mean? She felt it, yeah, yes. but it's it's amazing. And if anybody wants to uh, review my PhD work, I've got the 27 videos for the wild horses. Um, those are all at the end of the PhD. So you can watch every single session of what happened uh, with these horses. And yeah. And what about your book? Where can people get sittings with Cisco? If you go to, uh, you can either get it on Amazon at sittings with Cisco. Um, or you can go to aliciamain.com And there is a tab at the top where you can click on, Sittings with Cisco, and you can either get the ebook or you can get the uh, paperback. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a very, very cool conversation. <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of it. Me as well. I hope we have more. And uh, I'd love, you know, if you ever have the time or the chance and you're like, something's not making sense with this horse, let's do a video session where oh, we I'd do an in sync session. And this way you're observing. Because you're there, you can see what's happening with the horse. But I want to be able to really show like, hey, guys, we all have these gifts, right? Like, I get our five senses, but this is going beyond our five senses, right? And if I have it, you have it. And it's teachable and it's totally learnable. But um, it's cool to bring us back to the the foundation, foundation level of, of horse, you know, especially since they are really conscious. <laughs> Very much so. Okay, we're going to finish up here. Thank you so much for joining me. And for you guys at home, um, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Journey Thanks for being a part of the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.